All right, welcome everybody back to the Social Life Podcast. Uh, thanks for being here as always. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Today we're continuing a mini little series, if you want to call it that, on folks, water people on the island of Maui here in Hawaii. I'm out here with my family, enjoying some time in the water, warm water, instead of this cold Santa Cruz foggy stuff that we're used to, and I've had a killer opportunity to get in the water with a bunch of folks, get some podcasts done. So today we hear from Bobby Twitchell, a man born and bred in the waters of Maui. Bobby shares stories of fishing and spearing from the age of four as a young Grom all the way through today where he runs Maui Spearfishing Academy, uh, a great thriving local business introducing people to freediving and spearfishing with a major focus on education and sustainability. We hear stories from Bobby teaching himself the ways of hunting underwater and his continual progression of freediving education and skill over time. Bobby shares his perspective on college life in Arizona, then returning to Maui and building his business. We hear stories of pursuing big fish, dealing with sharks and the other natural challenges in the waters of Maui, and what Bobby's familiarity with local reefs and fish of Maui means to him. We hear Bobby's formal freedive training, his natural breath holding ability, which I am admittedly envious of after watching him dive deep for a long time, and his great perspective on competitive freediving versus doing it for the love of the hunt. And we open up by recounting a tale of Bobby and I being way too close to the path of a speeding boat during our dive on the Nepali coast. So a lot of great stuff from a man born in the water and continuing to just love life here in Maui. So thanks everybody for supporting the podcast. Thanks for minimizing your use of plastic, picking up some trash and all that, right? Let's all do something. So thanks for being here once again. Let's get into the ocean life of Bobby Twitchell. Bobby, first of all, man, you dodge boats like nobody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe uh, I almost uh, got nailed Dude. by one of those today. One of the three that tried to run us over today. That was gnarly. Yeah. It's funny because I have a buddy of mine in Santa Cruz who I dive with just went to Sea Cortez. Mm -hmm. And he showed a video clip. He had a GoPro on his, on his uh, mask. And he was just messing around, getting scallops in like 10 feet of water. Looked here, no boat, went down, came up, looked here. And this ponga was, I mean, and, it, and I'm like, that never happens. And then today, it happened to us. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely was the first one, like I said, never happens. And then it kind of, uh, two more boats got totally didn't see us as they got too close. And, yeah. And so, it, you know, when something happens once, you, you know, you kind of can chalk it up to, you know, unfortunate. But yeah. as soon as something happens more than once in any small amount of time, it's like, all right, we got a problem. So yeah, it's a sign. Yeah, I'll probably um, <laughs> have to double. I mean, I've been going to that spot for a decade or two. Really? You know, never that far out in, except for the last decade. But yeah, but I mean, uh, Hundred times right. been out there. And I've never had anything never. like that. You it's know, crazy. I've had some. I've had a few guys not see us till the last minute. Yeah, um, kind of like the third boat that almost ran us over. Yeah, um, but uh, to have it, you know, to have all three and that first one being so bad. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's pretty eye opening. Yeah, always, uh, always something new. <laughs> no doubt. Huh? Always something. Changing conditions is not just the conditions, like the natural stuff. It's the people stuff too. It's like yeah. who knew this boat was flying by? You know, but so. But give us some background, man. Like, we're the water, we're here in Nepali. Like, describe your setup. What town are we in? Anything yeah. about it, man. So, give us that. Yeah, the best place on earth. Um, it's it's hard to beat. Um, Nepali, um, Ahapua'a. You know, the island, the island is split up in these different Ahapua'as. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Nopili, Kahana, Kapalua are all around us. Those are the way that the Hawaiians split up the land back in the old days. And uh, still kind of respecting the culture in that way. And uh, so raised in the Nopili Ahapua'a right now, we're in Kahana right next to it. Um, and my dad was a fisherman and a hunter before me and a major surfer. Really? And uh, he actually surfed with Jerry Lopez uh, regularly back in the early 70s. In the heyday. The heyday before you could be you could be the biggest name and you weren't getting paid at all. My dad was homeless yeah. and one of the best surfers just, around. Wow. And homeless for a little while. Lived in a lived in uh, Lahaina Town, which is our main main town, just 15 minutes south of us. And uh, he lived in the um, I think it was Ocean House restaurant. He slept underneath the cash register. Um, and then this must have been 73, 70-ish. That's sweet. And uh, they caught him one morning sleeping under the cash register. He would throw his surfboard out and jump off the back into the water, paddle out to the surf break, and that's how he started his day. <laughs> and uh, they caught him finally. And uh, they gave him a job. So that was his first job for two years. Dude. Now, it might have been more than two. I'm not sure. Was he, have you heard that book, um, Barbarian Days? I'm not sure. I know about it. Because there, there's a story, and this guy, he's been all over the world. He's a San, uh, San Francisco, like, old-school legend mm-hmm. surfer, probably your father's age during that, that era. But anyway, he tells a story. I remember the book now of, like, coming to Lahaina, sleeping in their car, like, interacting with other locals. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering if that was part of that swirling story. Who knows? You never know, man. Yeah, that's I mean, sweet. I, yeah, there's... A lot of that stuff's lost. I mean, nowadays, all this technology, all this, everybody's, you know, everything's being recorded. Um, yeah. But it was crazier back then. I mean, you had, you had just, um, I mean, everything's, you know, safer now. Yeah. You know, what crazy means now is, you know, kids were doing nuts stuff, no helmets, you know, getting themselves killed left and right, you know, back in the old days. But, and so, uh, I mean, he would tell stories, you know, He's still around, but he would tell stories, uh, you know, where he would just kind of a side note. Oh, oh yeah, I flipped that van. That's how I got rid of that one. You know, I was like, yeah. what, what do you mean? Like, just oh, in yeah, passing. We, yeah, 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 I went off a ditch. I was like, landed on the roof. Like, wait, what? Um, and I don't know, yeah, I don't even know if it's all, you know, what's real and what's yeah, not. Yeah. The guy's a character. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, Born and bred here then. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, this I'll uh, add, it kind of leads into who I am for sure. My dad worked there for a while and then uh, the place blew up propane explosion when he was in it. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, sent six guys to the hospital, one guy critical, um, nobody died. And uh, it's quite a story, but anyways, uh, he was the first one out the front door kind of with fire behind him sort of thing, I, you know, and just kind of burst the, burst the door off the hinges with his ankle permanently messed up his ankle, kind of bow-legged a little to the day, messed up his surfing career. Wow. This must have been, he was there for a while actually, so it must have been, um, that must have been mid-80s, early 80s, and uh, he got a settlement. Uh, well, he, the, the big thing about the story is he, he, every bit of hair was gone off of him. He, he reached down, no way. semi-busy front street um, morning, and everybody looking at him, standing in the middle of the street, covered in ashes, reached down to his ankle, because the only thing that hurt was his ankle. He reached down to wipe the, the black, ashes off his ankle and he said all his skin came off with it oh yeah gnarly. Like yeah like some sort of war movie Ooh. and uh so uh he got a settlement for that which he should have probably done things differently but he got a settlement which <laughs> yeah. you know um paid for the house which was not very expensive in the early 80s yeah paid for the house that i grew up in and my mom still lives at 
uh, in Napili. So um, wasn't for that whole thing, everything from the cash register to, yeah. the, to the job, to the explosion, to the house, which then they had me and raised me in oh, it, wow. you know, only child. So probably wouldn't be here, you know, if yeah, it wasn't yeah. for all those chain of events. So, Crazy, man. Um, definitely quite a, you know, interesting yeah. you know, upbringing. Dad being that sort of local legend. Right. Um, and uh, became a huge fisherman instead of surfer after that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I grew up with him mostly being a fisherman, just kind of knowing he was a surfer, but really being around a lot of fish, you know, holding up his fish, pulling lobsters out of the lobster net in my front yard. He'd lay lobster nets back, you know, you not yeah. quite legal exactly the same anymore, but, um, you know, learned how to do that stuff. And then eventually helped him get lobsters out of the, you know, go, go lay the nets and stuff. Um, and I was four years old, five years old. Oh, cool. So, you know, before I can remember, yeah. you know, we were diving, wow. holding breath, popping the ears. Yeah. You so know. you had an early connection with the ocean yeah. that you maintain through till today. I mean, yeah. Cool. The way I've described it, you know, I don't know. It, it's not, try not to, it's not like this um, too cocky or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just trying to describe it what it is, you know, just feeling like being raised outside yeah. um, as opposed to being, you know, like an, like an indoor cat or an outdoor cat. Like, you know, I, my job now we can get to, uh, you know, uh, eventually here is uh, teaching people how to spearfish, yeah. um, exposing them to the ocean and, and uh, of course, you know, awareness of sustainability and, and the, free, the free diving world, which is like the most amazing, most unknown world out there right now. And, um, you know, just ex doing that, I am around, I've been around, you know, taught Olympic swimmers. I've mm. taught so many lifeguards and uh, competitive level, you know, stand-up paddleboards, uh, surfers, all that stuff. And uh, you can see if you weren't raised yeah. in the water, you don't move the same you know, it's not it's not the same. I mean, there's no disrespect at all. Sure, it's, if it's anything, tons of respect for people stepping out and, and getting themselves out there. But um, but it definitely feels yeah, it's like, just a fact. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you know, it's like learning a language when you weren't raised in that language. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's how yeah. it feels like. Yeah, it's not a second nature. You know, because yeah. you weren't immersed in it. You know, by directly like you were. I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, the stretch of coast. I mean, the next what from where we are in the Pili, what. 10, 15 miles that way, you must have dove, seen, swam, been in the water, and like every probably yeah. nook and cranny and yeah. little spot. Like that's cool. That just that local knowledge and just connection you have is really quite special, you know? Yeah, no, it feels it feels good. Uh, the it's I try to not let my identity wrap fully in that because of just, you know, yeah. beliefs and wanting to think you're more than, you know, um, the place you're from. But um, that is still huge. Yeah. I, I don't want to, and I, and I want a part of my identity, at least maybe not who I am or my value to come from it, but my, um, how I see myself and how I see the world, my worldviews and whatnot come from that past. Yeah. That, and we all have that. Yeah. Um, but uh, mine is, like many others, but mine is just very dramatic. It's very much no one knows the reef out here yeah. better than me. Yeah. Nobody, you know, I, you know, spilled blood on, you know, mountain biking yeah. with my friends in this dirt, right. you know, since I was a little kid. So that small town feel, I think a lot of small town yeah. people or a lot of people who really made use of their environment where they were raised have a similar feel yeah. of like, 
there's nowhere else yeah. you could ever go that you can say this is where you spilled yeah. your blood as a kid you yeah. know and uh, you know it's forever kind of a part of who you are yeah I, I love that for so there's like the the familiarity on land like you could drive down the street you know that house and you used to party in this house and all mm -hmm. that stuff but there's like familiarity underwater too right it's like today when we were out you're like hey there's a there's a hole here <clears throat> where there's gonna be a fish and you know there wasn't but you just know and you know exactly how to get there mm -hmm. and there's like this familiarity and i have the same thing like in santa cruz mm -hmm. there's like this reef and you, it's all kelp you're like what that's like me i'm following you i'm like dude where like i have no no frame of reference yeah. where we're at because it's fresh right. water there. i have no idea yeah. you're like dude there it is down and there's like these underhangs mm -hmm. where I am. It's the same thing. It's like this little slice of home. Yeah. You know, hey, who's in here today? And you know where to go. And it's just neat. You just don't wake up and go do that and find that familiarity. And, and you know, it's like, it just, it's just neat to have the familiarity underwater. Right. You know? right. I don't know, whatever that's worth. I, I dig it for my own self. And I think you do too. It's, it's huge. And that's the, the best thing I would say probably of uh, it being my job um, is, you know, being out there all the time, familiarizing yourself, you know, just even more so and just fully, you know, with all those nooks and crannies, mm -hmm. all those little things, just, um, that motivation. Sometimes you make a decision ahead of time because motivation is not always there to get up in the morning, to get out there. So you make a smart decision ahead of time to say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to, you know, whatever it is for you. But for me, it was, I'm gonna do this for my job, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm gonna take that leap, you know, I'm gonna get paid nothing for a couple of years yeah. and struggle to make it. Um, but this is what I believe, I yeah. think, yeah. is the best, you know, job for me, you know, I'm gonna take people out here. So that, of course, then motivated me to be out there every day. Um, so the place that I was already used to, I, I built off of that, you know, sure yeah. I was, Right. Sure, when I started the business eight right. years ago, I was used to everything. I could already say I was, you know, I had all this resume and stuff. But if I look at who I was 12 years ago yeah. compared to me to now, I was a kid, you know, 24, 25 years old who didn't know anything, yeah. you know, compared yeah. to what I feel like I am now, you know. So, um, yeah, being out there, you, yeah. you just, you, you gotta, you gotta get up. Yeah. You gotta get out you there. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest part, <laughs> totally. I think, for, uh, for, for people. And yeah, man, so. it is. So do you remember, so growing up as a kid from the early, early days, you're fishing, touching lobster, doing everything. Do you mm -hmm. remember the first, first fish you ever speared? Oh man, I definitely remember the first game fish I ever speared. Yeah. I do not remember the first fish I ever speared because I was shooting, Yeah. well, I was shooting everything. Right. And uh, I was eating, the only rule, my dad only gave me one rule is, if you shoot it, you eat it, Yeah. Um, period. So think, well, in Hawaii, you can pretty much eat everything. Right. Uh, we have the puffer fish, yeah. I knew not to shoot those. Right. So besides that, you can really eat everything and every part of everything. So. Um, I would shoot eels, I would shoot, you know, all sorts of little um, wrasse and things and just, you know, just wrap them in foil, put some butter mm -hmm. on them and put them on the grill and eat them. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what I ate almost my entire life. I didn't catch more than a pound and a half fish until I was probably 19 or 20. Yeah. It was all small fish. I never yeah. went out with you want to get good at spearfishing fast you go out with guys who are really good yeah, and i never did that true yeah my it's dad true. fished and hunted before i did but um you know um hardships in life alcoholism yep. and partying too hard live fast die you know die young he didn't die but uh he lived fast yeah. um, but it definitely yeah. caught up with him quickly 
I was out there on my own. Right. And um, self-taught is a great strong way to learn, but it's slow. It's and slow. So I didn't have yeah. all these kids now are showing all these fish that I was like, man, I took me 15 years. Yeah. Especially with spearfishing, you know, because yeah. you're not out there with 10 other, like surfing, you could get kind of get inspiration, see other guys are doing and stuff, yeah. but like spearfishing, you're by yourself. Yeah. Maybe you got a buddy, but you're doing your thing. And yeah. so you just do what you know to do and you do it again and again and again. Exactly. You know? And I just did that and I kept it in the bays and really easy and small stuff. Um, Kapalua Bay, um, I was in the bay doing small stuff, doing my thing. My dad had got me a nice gun though. I was 20 or so and a uh, nice wooden JBL long thing. And I went down and um, I told my buddy Kyle, I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna do one more loop around the bay. They were, they were tired. They went back to Napili Bay and swam around the point and went over to Napili Bay right near it. And I did one drop in 15 feet of water and, and three 16 pound Omilu or the bluefin trevally. Oh, yeah. um, wow. 16 pounds. I mean, I had the biggest, Big. biggest jackfish I'd ever caught before that was maybe a pound. I had never really done well with jackfish, which is your standard thing you're looking for. I just never did the right stuff to get them. And um, 16 pounders, uh, the first two shot right by my head. I swung my gun as fast as I could. The last one was gonna run into the gun, so it had to turn. And I just took the shot, kind of wild shot, hit him mid-body. Didn't have a reel on my gun or anything, and the thing just fought like crazy. No I just, way. I did not, Hold on. I, 15 years of me dreaming of catching an Ulua, you know, it wasn't yeah. it's an Omilu, but I thought it was Ulua. I was, you know, didn't know, and, and I just, Pulled that thing to me and bear hugged it. Did you really? Did not know if it had spines. <laughs> didn't care. Didn't care at all. Found out it had a spine. Got one spine on the top. <laughs> found that one. And uh, literally, no regard. Didn't have a wetsuit. No regard for my um, knees or hands or yeah, arms. Yeah, nothing. Bear crawled and rolled that thing up the rocks <laughs> over the sea urchins. I probably got cut up. Um, did not care. That I, thing was coming home. I threw it, up, threw it up on the yeah. rocks, thing was flopping around. I threw it way up high where I knew it couldn't get down. As soon as it, soon as it landed high enough to where I knew it couldn't get in the water again, threw my hands up. And I'm a pretty timid, humble, quiet kind yeah. of style. Yeah. And I threw my hands up in the air and screamed. No way. Everyone on the beach is staring at me. And I just like shaking, screaming. Oh man. Best fish I ever caught. That's and, uh, so cool. And that's, um, I mean, it's not the biggest, not the most rare, not anything, but it's still my best catch. Yeah, man. Um, I love those. The, yeah, the that's shaking, I never forget. I felt magic. like I couldn't walk. I really? Felt like, felt like I had to sit the down. The adrenaline. Oh, yeah. it's so magical. And it's funny because like, you remember those and every now and then it still happens, you know? Yeah. For some reason, I even just like, the other day, you met my son Kyle. We, he was out on his surfboard, uh, just jigging yeah. for rock fishing, lean cod, and I didn't. It was real mellow. I was, I was just diving around, 15 feet of water. Mm -hmm. I, the expectations. This is a nice day. You yeah. Know? And sure enough, there's that crack I always go to, and there's, it was just gigantic lean cod. And same thing, without even thinking, I shot it, and it was one of the things where it shot, and it was like those magical shots that are very rare, and thing just dies. Mm -hmm. But when it died, it opened its mouth. So it looked like it was like bigger than it really was. Mm. So when I was bringing it up, I had this huge face in my in my <laughs> face, and I had the same like adrenaline yeah. at the surface. I was like, yeah. it was a nice fish for sure, but <laughs> you know, I've shot other ones like that and didn't have half of like the anxiety, but just the amp. Yeah, you know, it's I funny how that it's can, it can hit you. you I love know? that feeling, even yeah. after all these years. Yeah, no, it's true. It's definitely still the. Um, that's what uh, you know, Wahoo or Ono. Oh. Like that is like synonymous with that hunt. Um, Every guy out here in Hawaii who's started hunting Onos or, or saw one, got into it, uh, it's the most um, addicting, probably, style right. of hunting. It's more hunter, like hunter style, where yeah. you just sit out in deep water and just wait, blue right. water style, but you know, in Hawaii we can do it from shore. 
And um, that's the one that I, as soon as you talk about that, I'm like, it, it's hard for me to get that feeling now. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. And uh, you still can get it, and I still do get it. And I get it every time I run into Ono's. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the fish. It's nuts. Um, I, I've only seen one in the last two, almost two years now. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, that's really a bad streak, as we talked about in the water. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's nevertheless, I mean, it'll it'll come again where we'll start seeing them more and more, but yeah. uh, it comes and goes. But uh, I mean, you'll be out there waiting, you know, five days straight. You, you know, you know, they're coming in sooner or later, right time of year and the right tides and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then finally, just like 12 bullets, you know, <laughs> averaging 40 pounds each, just come in and look at you and start going around you. And you got about a minute to do something. <laughs> yeah. My, my breath hold, I am dying for air at 20 seconds underwater dying for air because my heart is just racing. pounding yeah and i gotta get up i was just like like I'm gonna run out of air which is uh yeah and that's the addiction it's, yeah yeah indeed you know the, the meat is great the fight is fun yeah um but it's yeah. the hunt yeah the it's, anticipation it's the and yeah. actually seeing it that that right there if you could bottle that up yeah and just have a little swig now and then when you're feeling down like yeah. <laughs> life would be great you know yeah. <laughs> but then too as a kid you know so you mentioned like you grew up here in the water immersed and now here we are, you know, fast forward, mm -hmm. same spot, but you run into business, but mm -hmm. you also, you like ejected, you went to Arizona State, yeah. right? So yeah. how, how was that as a Maui kid who going to Arizona, landlocked, totally different everything, Right. what was that experience for you? Uh, well, for me, it was awesome. It was exactly what I was looking for. Um, I didn't know it. Uh, I didn't know what I was looking for, but um, I thought maybe I would be on the snowboard team and the paintball club that yeah. was my two things i'm like i'll probably do those my like two of my favorite things to do i don't get to snowboard out here that was my plan um you know you, they expect kids to be able to know what they want to be when yeah, they grow up like, and make these huge decisions i thought you could be like a lawyer a doctor a firefighter i thought you know there was yeah. like eight options right. you know <laughs> and so you know i was kind of a dumb kid but um with not the best grades but um um, I wasn't that dumb. I got a, the, a decent SAT score and uh, went off to Arizona State. And I knew I wanted to do something different for a while. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I got an engineering, a good math brain, so I got it. Um, pursued engineering, um, but I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. It took me two years in college to realize that, so that put me back a little bit. Ended up spending five and a half years in Arizona State. Met my wife out there. Had a massive group of friends. Um, through a club I was in um, and the um, basically we did ironically did a lot of paintball and a lot of uh, snowboarding <laughs> through that club it was a faith-based club um, so we kind of just did it was huge and we just yeah. did a lot of different things with a lot of different people cool and um, so with that um, I would say my whole time in Arizona was about the people it was mm -hmm. I had a I mean I had a 250 names on my phone that I felt like I could call and it wouldn't be weird. It would have yeah. been just like, oh yeah, another friend, you know, call another friend. Yeah, it was right kind on. of over the top. And that was just my whole experience. I ended up switching to math education and education degree wasn't mm. hard to, to get. The, the, the classes were easy. And so mm -hmm. I uh, basically um, kind of cruise mode uh, school-wise and I just did a lot of social activities. We'd rent out entire um, ice skating rinks for big social events. And you know, uh, went overseas to other countries with you know dozens of people at a time doing teacher swap things. 
um, cool. China and yeah. whatnot. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's just a very weird, unique. I was the president of the club, and my wife was the vice president for you know for a time. It was just like uh, we were very involved in it. It's kind yeah. of my point. And so uh, Arizona to me was was the people. Um, if I had to do it again, I would have incorporated some duck hunting into it. Yeah. I did that right yeah. before I left, and I realized, <laughs> whoa, I missed out. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Got your hunting fix. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I fished a ton. I did bass fishing, oh, cat yeah, fishing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, between classes, I would, you know, I would, I actually kept my, um, uh, poles in the car and I'd pick up chicken liver, you know, and I had like a two hour uh, break, Sweet. pick up chicken liver at the uh, at fries and I would head over to the uh, urban lake and just look for cat, you know, <laughs> wait for catfish. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd have, uh, there's like a lot of Hispanic, African-American people there and, and uh, they'd come up and be like, you're the only white boy catfishing with us out here, you know? I was like, yeah, that's what we do in, in Maui yeah. is is basically catfishing style. It's how we catch right. our jackfish. Yeah. So You had to have your water fix. It wasn't the turquoise blue <laughs> Nipili Coast, no. but it was water and yeah. you were still going after some game. <laughs> so it was uh, a very, it's all about the environment. That's what I, encourage people about college is um, it's the environment you put yourself in uh, intellectualism that goes on there the you know just the just the care and the you know I mean all the uh, social changes typically come from that age demographic you know yeah, the early 20s yeah, the zealous you know young people who want to make a change and are always in our thinking they're just thinking and they have time and <laughs> they have you know they got their student loans or whatever to give them time and, and they're having fun but they're just uh, they're able to you know it's like you know, putting a, a whole group of thinkers together and, yeah. you know, how are we going to change the world? Yeah, and that's yeah. college. That's and, cool. And so, yeah, I was really happy, you know, forget the classes, forget all that stuff, uh, at least from my experience, being around that group um, of people for five and a half years um, shaped both my wife and myself. Right, yeah, um, solid. Uh, entirely. Yeah. And so I don't think I would have been able to start the business and have been able to perform it well without that experience. Yeah. Oh, so. That's great, man. So you finished there and came back. Finished. And came then what, back. what, how did you then start thinking about doing what you're doing today? Right. I got business. a de degree in math education. I uh, taught math for a year. That sucked. Um, yeah. eighth, eighth graders. Um, they were awesome. I really liked being in the school system, love working with the kids. Uh, the, it, effectively, the nine to five, it wasn't nine to five, but it was the same idea. Five yeah. days a week, in the, looking out the window at the water. It's just not, not yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, uh, I wish it kind of, you know, I wish it were in a sense. It's just idea of like, it's so cool uh, to be able to be involved in these kids' lives. I try to be through the youth group out here, and I know a lot of the kids, but um, it'll nev never beat that, you know, Mr. Twitchell that, that he'd call me when, yeah. I, when I, you know, when I'd go to uh, uh, town functions and stuff and to know 200 yeah, kids, cool. like, it was special. Um, besides that, didn't like the job. And so I knew I wanted to do what I love for a living. And so I uh, went for it. Um, spear fishing um, <clears throat> didn't exist as a tour very much in Hawaii. Uh, it's too hard in Hawaii, uh, Big Island um, guy does uh, blue water hunters out there and he uh, he does a great job um, from what I hear and I refer people to him for blue water hunting yeah. um, but besides that it wasn't much options um, there's another company on Maui uh, and it, it's people will take you out shoot some little surgeon fish and you know call it a day I mean yeah. they're gonna teach you some stuff for sure you're gonna teach you how to use the guns they're gonna teach you how to get calm you're gonna kill some little fish because that's what the tourists want to see yeah. they want to get the experience of shooting a fish and um, and so it's just too easy to make money doing that, but it's but it's not sustainable right. at a larger scale. One company doing it, fine. Uh, what happens when everybody likes it? Yeah. And now the company grows. Now there's two or three or four. Well, now there is more. 
and uh, and now you got people shooting all these little surgeon fish. Like that's not going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't last. Um, and uh, so when we started, we did. Uh, I mean, that company, the, the owner, not from here, um, the one who was more popular and started before us. Uh, so I guess it didn't bother him so much. To me, it wasn't an option. I could not shoot surgeon fish, polanis, and, and parrotfish and goatfish. Yeah, could not shoot those things on my tours. Um, but you know, just being that math brain, I got It's got to make sense in the long run. Mm-hmm. So if everyone only targeted Taape, Toao, and Roy, which are considered invasive by the local fishermen, not considered invasive by the state yet. They haven't done the science to yeah. prove them invasive specifically. They're non-native. Right. They're introduced and they reproduce quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely sustainable. We will not be able to get rid of all of them no matter how much yeah. we get ever, beginners ever. Yeah. to try to shoot at them. So the sustainability to me is the word, the key word there. We can always do this. Our grandchildren can do this. Um, as long as you're doing things that can be reproduced over and over and over, that's sustainability. Yeah, so cool. um, that's the heart behind it. Um, I don't know if we're saving the planet or anything, but we're doing something that raises awareness to um, fishing pressures uh, and the, the, the problem of overpopulation and then development and all these different things we can talk about with our customers, gives us an opportunity to do that. Um, they can participate in that dream of maybe shooting a fish. Yeah. Uh, they can learn a ton of free diving, which Kind of funny how that word got into this whole thing, uh, which is an interesting story. And uh, and and through that, even though our customers do not shoot as many fish, nearly as much as all the surgeon fish they would have shot, the company went in 2012. I started it. Um, started introducing free diving into the tour. Started doing, it went from you know me and uh, trying to hustle some trips. Yeah. Um, to now this year, you know. Probably going to break 1,500 customers. Yeah, um, amazing. It's a job for four full-time yeah. people um, and uh, and on call when it gets crazy. And uh, you know, it's two. We got two wrap trucks that are running trips sometimes. You know, hustling multiple trips a day. And meanwhile, the reefs yeah. are not being yeah. negatively affected by yeah. it at all. Yeah, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, just kind of scoping you out a little bit before talking today, looking mm-hmm. at like Yelp and just other random stuff. Actually for my own self, like who's spearfishing on Maui because I'm here, you know, visiting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people seem really excited about the invasive, about shooting the invasive thing because people want to help protect. They have no idea what to do Yeah. at all. Yeah. And yeah, they could pick up trash and, you know, and that's cool, but like, not only are they getting the adventure of spearfishing, which is like other level for a lot of people who never even maybe go to the ocean that often, right get underneath it and then actually participate in helping it in yeah. their mind. And they are, they yeah. just, you know, they killed invasive fish. That might yeah. mean that these other ones, the natives are gonna maybe flourish there or whatever. Yeah. But I, I know I, I like the angle of it because people, they want to do something, you know, and you're giving them a chance to do something and have an adventure. I do hear it a lot, you know, and I don't know how much of this is, you know, you, you never know when what people say, how'd you hear about it? So, or what do you think about this? You, know, you never know exactly what really happened. Did they really just notice the truck wrap and then went online and then they mm-hmm. told me they saw it online? You never know. Uh, same way with this. They tell me, hey, you know, I really, uh, that's what sold me on the trip was this invasive, but I hear that all the time, you know? And so if that's just them being nice or if that's really the truth, either way, yeah, either I'll way, take it. It works out. Um, yeah. If you like that we're going for invasives, I'm glad. You know, my main concern is that um, my guides and me get to do what we love for a living and stay pono. Pono is to do what yeah. is right, right? So uh, righteousness. So we get to stay pono, 
and get to do what we love for a living. Yeah, I mean, it's killer. That's that's the goal. That's what everybody's, everybody's trying to get it, get that's, towards in life, and it's pretty hard to find. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's killer. So part of it too, as you mentioned, is the freediving aspect. Is not just you don't you just don't pull a truck up, load a bunch of people, and give them gear and go. Correct. You're also helping them understand how to be safe in the water, holding a breath, going under. But you to get to that point had to also. Yeah, you were know, you were probably raw in the water because you just grew up that way. But at some point, right. you got you formally educated yourself so you can now educate others. Yeah. What was that? There's, path? Yeah, yeah, that's some interesting stuff. Um, basically, ironically, the whole path started because I just wanted to figure out how people could have a good time in the water without shooting a fish. It's like you might not shoot a fish, but how do you leave here not pissed off because right. you didn't shoot a yeah, fish? Like, yeah, so. Well, if I teach them proper free diving instruction, right. they always yeah. get something. They get something from their money. From their money. Yeah, yeah right. they, they, simple as that. That yeah. was my mentality. Yeah. yeah, Little did I know, yeah. once I took a course, it would change everything. Huh. I got a hold of Kurt Chambers, um, 2010 American Freedive Champion. Uh, at the time, he was American Freedive Champion. He's the guy. You know, got a hold of him, friend of a friend. Hey, Kurt lives on the Big Island. Can you do a free dive class out here? And I figured I would learn the proper safety, and I would tell my friends, um, my guides, my customers every day and it would just be a notch on my resume. I don't know what yeah, would come yeah. from it, but learning formal free dive safety seemed like a good idea for running a spearfishing business. So um, I went there for the safety aspect more than anything. Um, was pushing my breath hold, did a three and a half minute breath hold before going to the class. And I was like, wow, three and a half minutes, like never held my breath that long before. I show up to the four day course with Kurt. He does Maui's first deep dive course. I show up to the course here, he, you know, he flew out here for it. And eight of us spear fishermen. I was the least known. I knew all those other guys. Seen some of them in magazines, yeah. and big Instagram stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. I know I'm part of this group. And nevertheless, I was uh, Kurt was expecting a lot out of me because of my past of yeah. doing it my whole life. Even these guys who were known didn't quite do it as much as I did growing up. But I just wasn't that good. I just did it a lot. And uh, and so first day of the course, we learned the static breath hold. We learned the the you know a lot of the basics, uh, the stuff I teach every day now. And um, after the second day of the course, we go for our longest breath hold, and I broke six minutes, Whoa. You know, almost six and a half minutes, um, my first try at a, at, a, at a new max breath hold with formal freedive instruction. Crazy. And that was Kurt's uh, longest breath hold in the class. He, and now he's had, he says he's had probably maybe three guys break six minutes in his intro class. Maybe it's a little more than that now. Dude. Maybe. You don't see that very often, and I was stoked. You know, I was—I couldn't believe it. Um, I, even underwater, I'm just like giggling. I'm like, wow, it's been five and a half minutes. Like, I still wow, feel good. Really? I came up feeling good. Lips were pink, which means yeah. I could have kept going some more. Um, I never, never pushed my breath hold to find out. Kurt's kind of back in the day was like, yeah, you should go for the record. And I really was, you know, stoked. But um, I don't know. I don't know if that's my uh, uh, my passion to the the training, the dedicated training yeah. for the for the max depth, for the max time. I don't know if I, I clearly haven't so far had the passion to pursue that. Uh, local spear fishermen love getting food for the table, uh, hanging out with friends and, and fishing. Uh, that's and, and I love the free dive aspect, but I, the record aspect, I don't know. It might not be for me. Yeah, I do love the idea that. You don't have to be diving hundreds of feet to get into free diving. So people can dive 30, 40, 50, 60 feet, hang out with turtles, swim under an archway, do it safely, and that can be free diving. Yeah. It doesn't have yeah. to be it's true. William Truebridge, yeah. you know, right. 400 yeah. feet down. Deep, deep, deep. Type yeah. of stuff, you know, as amazing as that is. Um, and that's the world of free diving. When people think free diving, they think blackout, serious depth, right. scary. Uh, it's if we can change that and have it just be, no, this is just a fun, normal, it's extreme sport, but it's a fun, normal sport that everybody can participate in. Um, it's just, a, a, why not? It's yeah. a great sport, great for you, um, and uh, of course, sustainable. Yeah. Um, so anyways, 
I uh, learned that stuff. The second time uh, Kurt comes out, he comes out for the guys who were maxing out depth on that intro course, which was a level two intro course because everybody was experienced. He comes back for an advanced course, you know, or expert one, um, and see how deep we can get you in three days, which is not how you're supposed to free dive, but Kurt's a little um, wild, yeah. especially back then. So he's like, yeah, let's go for it, you know. Um, Kurt's not afraid of that kind of stuff. He can, he can handle a blackout or two. And so we, uh, we went for it, and I was able to, uh, to hit 60 meters, you wow. know, nice. um, which is 196. I went a couple feet past that and uh, at the end of those three days, you know. And so I never had any goals on going about 200 feet yeah. down. Uh, it was never the hope, never the goal. But, you know, you went 180, then you're like, well, I'm going to go 190 like and go 200, yeah, hit, that, yeah. hit that mark, you know. And so um, that's the uh, that's uh, how the depth came, um, and then did some free dive tournaments from there with Kurt. He blacked out on one of his own free dive tournaments, which uh, disqualified him uh, on that dive, which allowed me to then catch up in points. No, so I tied, tied him for first place on an on a <laughs> official tournament. Like thanks, Kurt, <laughs> which was my claim to fame. Yeah, and um, I uh, again I, I was tempted to pursue uh, depth uh, just because I knew I could. Yeah, um, but that's not enough. You have to have more than just knowing that you can do it. You have to really have a passion and love uh, for the sport of deep. You know, right. diving yeah. competitively. Yeah, you gotta want it. I you gotta think. really want it. Yeah. And I don't. I, I don't know if I want it yet. Yeah. Um, maybe. Uh, maybe that'll change. But uh, I gotta be okay with that. And um, that's something I'd struggle with more in the past. Yeah. I am okay with that yeah, now yeah, more sure. than I was. Yeah. Um, but I kept. I keep to that. Uh, try to keep it under two hundred. Yeah. Um, I feel very comfortable down to those depths. Yep. Um, one sixty, one sixty-five before the chest flexibility, and that would be a whole lesson we'd have to get into. But, yeah, well, that's a totally different. <laughs> that's different a long level. story. Yeah. But uh, chest flexibility becomes an issue. You can tear your lungs because of pressure right. and whatnot. At 130 or so, your lungs become smaller. Uh, you know, on, depends on the person and whatnot. But your lungs can become smaller than what you can physically make them on land. Yeah. And so basically, your lungs are being under more pressure than they're used to, and uh, causing tears and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so stuff. it's called a lung squeeze. It's a very. It's one uh, article online is uh, free diving's most dirty little secret. Yeah. And uh, it's a great article. It's uh, just on the lung squeeze. Blackouts aren't a fear for free divers really yeah. and in any safe environment it's really not a big fear it's the lung squeeze that we're watching out for right and uh, so that takes daily stretching and whatnot if you want to get past mm-hmm. uh, and special uh, negative pressure type diving and stuff um, but um, and that's where the daily routine and discipline and I want to pursue this sport yeah. comes in yeah and it's not practical for what I do yeah totally but day to day like even today we were diving and like you had no problem just Dipping down and hitting, touching 85 feet. Yeah. Looking for a fish, spending you know probably a minute or more down there mm-hmm. after the dive, the kick down and back up. So your that comfort level is just yeah, I strong can, for you. I can do um, four minute um, pretty comfortably. I can do a four minute dive, um, you know, underwater. Um, and so when you spear fish, you want to keep your dives conservative. Mm-hmm. So I kept my dives today to two, two to two and a half minutes. Relatively shallow diving for what I do with my with yeah. my you know guides and whatnot. Um, for me, you know, our tours never go that deep. Yeah. But um, uh, I would say ninety to a hundred is probably the go-to depth yeah. for your my standard. Right. Like I'm going to pursue fish yeah. Yeah. Um, down to one thirty. And that opens up like you're, as we were chatting after we dove, sitting on the rocks, ch- talking a little bit. Is that 
that extra depth kind of opens up a world, a new world of fish. We were talking about is this, you know, this spot here. It's accessible. You can park. Does it get hammered by other spear fishermen in their boats, etc.? And as yeah. you were mentioning, it's like yeah, kind of. But really, it's like once you can get past that eighty down to hundred-ish feet, yeah. a lot of guys can't. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm thinking in Santa Cruz, maybe there's a couple, but nobody dives there. But right. so for you, to, that opens up a another world of game yeah. you yeah. can get down there and so that's pretty sweet yeah you know it's just i mean you put the time in and you get the results um and that's the thing is that the learning curve is huge in spear fishing you got to love the hunt you got to less love not getting anything and still do doing it all the time um the um i'd say i'd say honestly past 65 you're going to start seeing um yeah something different whereas anything shallower than that you just gotta know that you know, you don't expect to be getting big yeah, lures. Don't expect to get right. big ukus. Yeah, well, it's funny because when I was, I was, you were so nice to me, just kind of randomly reaching out. You know, here's what I'm coming out, and and while I was mostly focused on having this opportunity to chat with you, mm -hmm. I was like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, you had a phone call from somebody who's coming mm -hmm. to Maui, wants mm -hmm. some intel because when you come to a place, whether you are you know how to dive or not, like I'm like, geez, maybe I can just short dive and get a big fish, and that's. Yeah, you, maybe, mm -hmm. but you got to mm -hmm. be able to dive in this. Mm -hmm. Just you were so helpful, just like, well, try this and do that, and heard you on the phone, like, because you don't really know what's underwater yeah. and what you got to do to get there until you're actually there. Until you're there, and I was like, there's oh, no whoa. way to know. Yeah, and I'm like, and geez. you're, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to build you up, but I mean, I take a lot of guys out, and you're definitely, uh, you know, what you're doing out there. You know, you're definitely a water guy. Um, the, you know, it's just the way you move, mm -hmm. the way you go underwater, being comfortable, you know, it's like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna normally dive 30, 40, and then all of a sudden go look in caves at 65. Like, yeah. you shouldn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to take it easy. <laughs> um, but, you know, that doesn't mean, it's not a numbers thing. It's not like a yeah, guy who goes yeah, 70 right. is more comfortable than a guy who goes 30. That's nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. If you practice going to 70, then you're gonna go to 70. Right. You know, that's just how that works. Um, same thing even down to deeper depths, down to 300, you know, even the world record holders. Yeah. I bet you the world record holder freedivers aren't the best, you know, watermen. Right. They're yeah. great watermen, yeah. but they're good at what they do. Yeah, that's right. That's all they different. train. Yeah, it's, it's just different. different. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's so very true. We, we want to relate, we want to compare ourselves all the time, and especially with Instagram, especially with all yeah. the social media, um, you know, no matter how much, I, I feel like we always say it all the time about what life's about and not comparing yourself and all these things. And I think we say it a lot because that's what we're doing, not just yeah. what other people do. Without doing. realizing it, yeah. We gotta say it because we're the ones doing it. Yeah. You know, I often say stuff, I'm like, I give kids advice because I fail at it. Yeah. And that's why I'm giving you the yeah. advice. I try not to compare myself and try not to be, you know, do all these things, but man, uh, it is so tempting. I feel like you have to keep reminding yourself. Yeah. You have to keep saying it because that is the natural cultural, the natural way of things is to try to say, oh, I'm yeah. a better waterman in this case. Yeah. Or a better, you know, look better at this, do better at this, I score more. I'm better at, you know, you know, I, I travel. I, you know, I got my stuff together, or whatever. It's just like, um, just know what you do. Yeah. You know, I have to be okay with not um, potentially never breaking any free dive yeah. records. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I can. I know I can. I, you know, I've gotten advantages over even. I bet you some of the world record holders now. Um, but if that's not me, yeah, that doesn't. That's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't. You know. Um, and even the fact that I can isn't something to brag about. It's just like, yeah. well, no, like I, well, it's not like I, I didn't choose to get my, to have my dad be my dad. I didn't choose where I was yeah. born or anything. We all have, we're all given what we're given. It's all just as valuable as somebody else. Um, but just try to know yourself well, you know, learn about yourself and don't feel like you need to perform. 
But what makes you, you know, um, impressed, humbled, happy, whatever? I think we're looking for a lot more than happiness. I don't yeah. think people are looking for happiness. Yeah, I, I think they're looking for something better. Yeah, than that, some kind know? of like validation from others. But it's interesting because what just popped in my head is I just I'm reading this book. Actually, he's got a bunch of different books. His name is Carlos Isles, E Y L E S. He's from California. He was like, you know, one of the early kind of second generation spear guys, like in the 60s. Uh -huh. There's like the first, uh, they call them what they call them the Godfathers or something like You're in right. the 30s. And then World War II came and stopped the whole thing. But they didn't even have masks. Right. They found them from the Japanese pearl divers. It's insane. You'd love it. I'll, I'll send you the yeah, book. It's yeah. really cool. But looking back to those guys back in the day, uh -huh. they didn't need validation. No. They were going down no. with like, they were like talking about how they're trying to make their own masks and going down just because. It was rad to them. Mm -hmm. You know, now mm -hmm. it's rad what we're doing, but there is that aspect now. People want to share and show, whereas I love the old school stuff where it's like, there's no glory. They didn't want any glory. Yeah. They were just doing it. You know, I just, I love that simplicity of, right. of that time. Yeah. You know? But yeah. for what you do, you have a business and you need to show, you need to be out there. Part of your brand is you. Yeah. So you have to be out there and say with me, like I have to, Shared the things I'm doing either by myself, with my friends, with my kids, part mm -hmm. of the brand. And that's kind of the reality. Interesting of it all. dichotomy there. I totally, and I use that as an excuse. Oh, yeah, it's just my business. Because I'm proud to not be that online. You know, the classic outdoorsman who's like, oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know that yeah. stuff. I, you know, I don't know how to even work a computer. But, um, um, you know, yes, uh, it helps with branding. And, you know, so it, certain things are. I probably could get away with not even doing Instagram, but it helps and it you know it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, and so here I am on Instagram doing you know posting for my business and I'm terrible at it. Yeah. I just my posts are you know just <laughs> the classic like they look like somebody who likes to fish once a week and right. shows their fish off. You know that, that's all mine are holding dead fish up. But. Um, uh, you know, I, I look at other, you know, and, and that's where the comparing comes in. I look at other guys who've got these epic underwater housing, they're with whales upside down yeah, and yeah. beautiful, you know, girls and guys and this, you know, big catamarans and all this stuff. And I'm like, and then I get like, oh, why, like, am I second class and I'm not able yeah. to do that stuff? And then I think about doing that stuff. Like we were talking about guys who, you know, who travel and, and work on the, you know, the boats and, and spearfish all over the world. I'm like, do I even want to do that? Like, I don't even want to do yeah, that. Like, I, I really know, don't. I if I did, I should pursue yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm like, I'd rather just hang out with my friends here, surf the local spots, you know, hang out with my wife and the kids here and just do, uh, yeah. you know, do, that's my style. Yeah. You know, just know yourself. Right, yeah. And don't try to be somebody else. That's key. It's so cliche, but it's just like, when you actually see it's real, you know, it's, it's yeah. actually a thing. Yeah, well, you just had, I saw it, speaking of Instagram, which again, and I, I bring this up on the podcast repeatedly because I spend a lot of time on it because mm -hmm. I'm looking, um, what's going on. They're trying to, that's how I connected with you and right. others. Like I'm always looking at stuff, you know. And so you kind of get to know somebody. And as we've been talking the last few mm -hmm. weeks, I'm like, oh, what's Bobby up to? And like, so you just had a birthday. So I happy did. belated birthday. Yeah. And you mentioned that up again back to Instagram. Ah. <laughs> you went out camping, yeah. got some fish, and it sounds like you had a run in with what, a tiger shark out there? Yeah. Well, actually, let me, yeah, okay. I'll, uh, so the weekend, real quick, I'll just, yeah, the weekend was very interesting, uh, very cool. Um, uh, lanai hunting has gotten very popular. Joe Rogan is a lanai hunter, um, for example. He's talked about it on the Joe Rogan Experience, even. Um, and uh, there's the mouflon sheep and axis deer. This time I decided to, to fish instead. I rented the hunting trucks. They thought I was going to go hunting oh, axis cool. deer or mouflon, but instead I'm, like, oh, I'm going for fish. And instead of taking a boat to Lanai, we just rented a truck. 
uh, went out there. I don't advise a bunch of people doing this at all yeah. or anyone doing this. It's, it's first of all, it's the wild. There's potentially no cell phone service. There are huge animals out there. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, I know a lot of the locals and whatnot. So yeah. it's, not a, it's not necessarily a repeatable thing um, by everybody. But, you know, I got the, you know, yeah. I, I've done it many times. Actually, it all comes together because I used to work on a boat trip um, for three years that actually went to remote parts of Lanai. So I actually know the reason. Yeah, good. Um, so it all came together that I'm like, wow, I've really got the setup to be able to pull something like this off. So here we are in the boondocks camping hours away from, you know, it's, you know, hour and a half away uh, if you off road fast to the nearest building of any kind. Yeah. Um, uh, out there. It's just out there. Like, yeah. And you hope you get cell phone service in case somebody gets gnarly cut. You could call Coast Guard or something, yeah. but no guarantees. Um, swim out. Um, I shot, uh, I ended up shooting about 70 pounds worth of fish, um, which is as much as I would have wanted. Uh, we had, you know, five of us guys. I, I just shot all the fish for, for eating, and then all the guys cleaned up invasives. Mm -hmm. So we shot about 25 invasive fish and uh, got a few uh, food fish. So we made ceviche at, at the place. Love it. Uh, the whole, you know, the, the, the yeah. dream, the stuff you would like, what if we went camping and did this? Yeah. Well, we did that. Right. Killer. And uh, we were out there and I, one of my, you know, some beginner guys and then a couple advanced guys and I had a beginner guy with me and I was just watching my back. He's a good water guy. He knows how to safety me, but he doesn't know how to go deep, uh, but he can catch me, you know, you know, in the top 50 feet mm -hmm. um, if a blackout happened. And uh, he comes up and, or I come up and, I have a nice moo, a, a really prized fish, about seven pounds or so, and I put it on the stringer, and he's like, oh, shark. I look down, there's a little uh, gray reef shark, and then uh, um, I'm like, is that the only one? He's looking all around, I'm like, is, is that the only one? And uh, he's like, yeah, it's the only one. I was like, okay, because I, I was, we had drifted out into like 130 feet of water, couldn't see the bottom, way far from the shore. I was like, this would be the worst time to see a tiger. I literally think that. I look down, no and way. this big old tiger starts coming out of the dark <laughs> up towards us. <laughs> Right as you think it. Damn it. Right as I thought about it. And uh, I uh, attached the fish to the float. The shark's coming up. I just got my spear back in the gun, um, was redoing the gun, uh, got the line all settled as the shark got probably about 30 feet away, headed perfectly at us. Thankfully, the thing was actually pretty um, skittish, and I, uh, I, I looked big, pointed the gun, kind yeah. of moved towards it a little bit. And, uh, you know, just... If there was no fish around, it would be actually almost like a swim with a tiger situation. Yeah. But it's we yeah. had ble big bleeding fish. Yeah, uh, you never know. Yeah, he um, might just snap and just be like, "Hmm, I'm hungry now." Yeah, yeah. you don't want them to confuse the fish and you. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, no, it was all right. I told my buddy just stay calm, and I I tried to you know really keep it as simple. You know, wasn't wasn't much. Yeah, uh, yeah. We we came in and um, and he didn't really pursue us. Now I think maybe a good ending. Um, one of the ending things we could do, I do have a really good tiger shark story. Speaking of tiger sharks. Lay it sharks. down, please. Okay. Yeah. So this one is a little different. This one is the one you don't want to have happen. Um, um, everyone survived. Um, I was at S Turns, which was at the time the last, this was in 2010. It was a, a, at the time, it was the last place a guy had died from a tiger shark, um, an acquaintance of mine. Um, and uh, basically, uh, it's a known spot. I, I, muddy, junk day to go. It had been raining three days earlier, but the mud never cleared up. But outside of the mud was crystal clear. And so me and my buddy Joey, we see the clear water out there. I want to go spearfish in the clear water. So we just kind of you know rush over the shallow part of the reef off to the side and we get out there. Um, we spearfish for three hours, crystal clear water. Didn't get much. We had two lobsters on the buoy. 
and we start swimming in through S-turns to get back to shore. We should have went back in over the really shallow spot that we got out at, but we decided to go straight in, which was right across S-turns itself. Um, only 12 feet deep or so, it's not a deep place. And uh, we're swimming along and looking left, looking right, and some premonition or whatever, I look behind me at the right time, and this shadow comes out of the murk, about eight feet of visibility. So I'd say yeah. the nose was probably eight feet away when I first saw it. And so um, I have my wooden gun with me, uh, that same JBL that I shot my first fish with, big fish, and I turn around and um, I can't point the gun at the shark at this point. I figured it was a reef shark or something, um, but I was still like, hey, shark in murky water. So I spin around. It's kind of hard to describe. I couldn't point the gun at the shark because it was too close and it was coming at me. So I, to spin around fast, I had to pull the gun towards my chest yeah. like a fireman's pole. Right if you were to slide down it and spin around like a pole. Yeah. And so the tip of my gun is out of the water, um, just barely, and I'm holding it in front of me like a shield. And in the time it took me to turn around like that, this full grown tiger, kind of hard to tell how long it was because I could only see segments of it at a time. Judging by the fact that it was as fat as a cow, I would say it was probably 13 to 15 yeah. feet, You know, probably a 13 footer I would say, um, just really fat. And all I saw was the face at this moment. Um, it was coming sideways across, so I could see one eye and one set of gills. And the mouth um, was, you know, was going from my right to my left. And there's a moment of just, you know, your heart sinks. Pucker, it's all yeah. fast. It's all just, okay, there's a huge shark right in front of me. And then it arched its whole body, opened its mouth as wide as it could to try to just eat me from the top down. And I scream and I hold my gun out in front of me outwards uh, and like a shield again. His upper lip hits the gun by my forehead. His lower lip hits the gun down by my belly button. What? And my fingers are technically in its mouth because my fingers are holding the gun out in front of me. Um, all I see is white flesh mouth. I, like, I can't see around the face. I can only see white flesh in front of me. <laughs> That's gnarly. And so your gun was propping its mouth open. No, my gun's five feet long, five feet tall in Got this it. moment. It's just so, the, like, so it's like a shark cage. It was your shield. It's just like a shark cage, wow, but dude. only one bar. <laughs> so imagine a, sh a shark hitting a shark cage <sighs> yeah. with its mouth open. Yeah. Dead center on a bar. On a single bar wow, right in your dude, face. That's... that's exactly what it was like. And um, too much adrenaline to know if it, how much it pushed me or not. I couldn't tell like in the moment yeah, yeah. if it hit me and pushed or if it just kind of felt, right. oh, there's, I, couldn't, I couldn't get my mouth around anything. Either way, mouth wide, wide open. Didn't know they could open their mouths that wide and uh, th saw a little throat hole. I'm like, how am I supposed to fit down that thing? You know? Oh my God. And uh, <laughs> That's so heavy. So gnarly. <laughs> um, turns it's its head, closes its mouth, didn't finish the bite. Probably would have taken my fingers, I'd assume. Uh, if it did, but it didn't try to, it didn't chomp down. It just couldn't, couldn't get a bite. So instead it just kind of turned its head back to normal position, closed its mouth and kept swimming by. And I could, it looked like a train going by just me. Just kept going. And it was my first tiger I ever God. seen at the time. And I just saw stripe, stripe, oh stripe, about a foot from my face. Just stripe, stripe, stripe. Like, oh, okay, that's what a tiger shark looks like. And uh, its tail was four feet tall, went right towards Joey. Um, I stick my head up, scream, Joey, look down, look down, screaming bloody murder. That's all I said was Joey looked down, but he knew exactly what I meant because I was bloody murder, like Luke was today with the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, prob probably worse. And um, 
And so he didn't see it. Thankfully, the shark must have uh, turned before it got to Joey. We met up back to back and swam the rest of the way in. Dude. So. That's so heavy. Yeah. So, yeah, I got so the newspaper for that heavy, one. man. I love that. Yeah. We're going to have to do another. If, you'd be, if you're down, I know, I mean, think about this. But if you have, I could sit here and talk about those stories if you have other ones to share. <laughs> Don't know if I'm going to be able to beat that one. Yeah, that's but, epic, um, though, dude. But, uh, that's a good intro one. Yeah. I got some stories. No, man. But, yeah, uh, Bob, this is awesome, dude. And it's crazy how fast an hour goes. But yeah. a couple of things. One is thank you for the hospitality having me. Thank you for let me tag along and the dive today was insane. My pleasure. And thank you for showing me that your ninja boat deflecting, <laughs> de deflection move. I'll be keep remember that one yeah. for next time it happens to me, man. But Might uh, as well go underwater. They yeah. can't hit you there. But so. uh, I, dude, best of luck with the business and everything you have going here, man. And uh, I appreciate your perspective on everything. Thank so thank you for sharing with us, dude. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, hopefully meet up again. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Thank you so much. Pleasure. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening uh, to another podcast episode. C can't do it without you. And uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your, uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps, helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share the, about their ocean life, please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.